Welcome to Freshwater Cleveland's Fresh Faces podcast. Freshwater Cleveland is an online publication focused on the people, places, and projects shaping and transforming our city. This podcast focuses on the first part of that equation, the catalytic talent making change in Cleveland. I'm Jen Jones Donatelli. For our first four episodes, we're featuring the creative, courageous, and resilient Fresh Innovators, a group of talented professionals recognized by the Cleveland Leadership Center and Freshwater Cleveland in August 2019. In this series, we'll be shining a light on the work these four Clevelanders are doing to affect change in our community. Today's Fresh Faces guest is Steph Buda. Steph is the founder of the Kids of 216, a nonprofit that helps at-risk youth become better versed in vocational trades. Each year, 30 high school students enter a 10-week cohort, during which they are not only paid for their time, but participate in an array of projects that benefit both their learning and the community at large. Now that's what I call fresh. Steph was also named one of four fresh innovators this year by Freshwater Cleveland and the Cleveland Leadership Center. So congratulations and welcome, Steph. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. We're excited to have you here, too. And, um, you know, like all great success stories, you basically started this off with $25 and a dream. Um, So tell us a little bit more about why and how you decided to start the Kids of 216. I actually started this nonprofit as a class project, uh, my MBA thesis, actually, when I was a graduate student over at John Carroll University. I was working full time and going to school at night for the MBA program, and I realized in the curriculum that I was learning at school, I just felt like all of the application and the lessons um, and the business problems and the case studies that we were discussing and working on were the result of, you know, young people not learning what they should have in high school. And it kind of got me thinking, and I was at a point in my job and kind of career path where I realized I wasn't necessarily doing something that was fulfilling me day in and day out. And so I did a lot of research in the city of Cleveland and uh, different facets of education and employment and inner city data, really. (laughs) And I put together a couple proposals and kept reading and doing a lot of research, and it came up with this idea for vocational education summer school. And um, I actually first pitched the idea as, um, you know, the programming as an idea with the Cleveland Leadership Center at their Accelerate Conference back in 2017, and then presented the project, you know, tweaked it and um, did some more research and presented the project again for my MBA class. And so we, it was, you know, just words on paper at that point and no money. <laughs> so um, I was the spring of 2017. And basically from there, it was kind of just realizing that once you start meeting the actual students and the young people who are influenced and affected and are a part of the data that you study um, becomes a whole different ballgame when you can put a face to a data point. So even though we started with $25, uh, the motivation was there right from the start. And I think the help that I received from the Cleveland Leadership Center and John Carroll and those beginning phases were definitely instrumental in making sure it got off the ground right that first year. And it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish in just a few years. So how did you go about kind of designing the curriculum and what does it entail? 
Our curriculum is based on something called project-based learning, and it's a learning method or instructional method in which the students work on long-term projects with like day-to-day responsibilities and management that they choose and control at their own pace, which is really unique because we believe that when students have that voice and choice in their education, they're more interested in it, they take responsibility for it, and they want to see the project complete. They want to do well because they're interested in it. They chose it right from the beginning. And so our curriculum, you know, the projects, it's not like these kids are learning vocational education in a four-walled classroom. We think gone are the days of four-walled classrooms because you can teach a kid how to use a saw in a classroom, but unless they're using a saw with a real boss when it's 85 degrees outside or maybe while it's drizzling outside, they don't understand how to use that tool or how that trade works in a real job setting. And so we feel like with the projects, they're actually a part of something and they're realizing how the curriculum is used in a bigger picture, you know, in work. And then it's also a progression-based program. And so the current program, it's actually some good news, actually is expanding from 10 weeks probably to about 14 this coming year. And the current program or the current progression is to start with the general orientation, safety training, tool training, you know, what is this, how to read a measuring tape, you know, vocabulary, identifying tools and, you know, learning how to hold tools and turn on tools and clean tools and all those kinds of things. And then they do a small community project. So we'll do things like the Give Box Clevelands, which are the little free library structures filled with toiletries or non-perishables. We do projects for other nonprofit organizations. This year we built a playground train. Basically, the idea of the small community project is to give the students blueprint training and for them to be able to use the orientation and safety and tool training that they just went through in a smaller project setting. But it's still something that obviously benefits the community. So it's still the kids working for the community and they're able to see a project through, you know, start to finish. But the big idea there is they're getting the blueprint training and the reading done in a kind of more relaxed atmosphere. And then once they have that vocab down and they have enough um, background, we send them to a career certification class. And we actually are doing a lot with the career certifications this year. We have previously only done the OSHA 10 certification. This year we're expanding that to um, include a branch of that training, which allows the students to specialize or choose a specialization in like carpentry or plumbing or electrical. And then we're also going to include first aid and CPR for all the students. And then we're including the forklift operation training card so that um, students are able to learn and operate a forklift, which is important for a lot of like warehousing and manufacturing jobs that we see some of our past students go into. And then this year, a big thing we're doing with the career certifications is the uh, RRP, Residential Repair and Painting. Just with the Lead Safety Cleveland Coalition happening, we think that why not train our kids for lead testing and lead safety, especially because it's already in line with what we're doing. So after all that, (laughs) after all those um, certifications, that process, the studying, the course, and the testing, they are transitioned to residential renovation projects. And that's the bulk of the programming and the curriculum. And the idea with the project-based learning in these residential projects is that the students now have, you know, the background from the community project. They have a career certification or they've just been certified. 
And now they're working on an actual home in their neighborhood. And so they are, one, not only contributing to neighborhood revitalization, but they actually get to see something positive happening, you know, on their street or in their own areas. So we think that the idea of the project-based learning is that the students see that their work is a part of something that's really making positive change. And I love that you're expanding beyond that four-walled classroom and also equipping these students with certifications that can actually help them land jobs after they graduate from high school. I think that's really cool. And you mentioned neighborhoods. So what, what geographic areas are represented in the program typically? And are there certain schools that you work with? Tell us about the students that take part. Yes. These past couple of years, we've worked pretty much exclusively with the Cleveland Metropolitan School District. And um, we've built really good relationships with the schools and the partners in the schools that have helped us um, identify and select students to come to the program. This year, we are excited to be expanding. We really are interested in this idea of the inner ring suburbs directly surrounding what we would identify as the inner city And we are looking to host students and cohorts in the Euclid area from Euclid High School, Richmond Heights, Cleveland Heights, University Heights City School District, and then eventually, hopefully, like Maple, Warrensville, Bedford. Right now, we're limited by funding to Cuyahoga County. And we do have, you know, a five-year plan (laughs) that would see us to other parts of the state, but you know, kids of 330. <laughs> exactly. Kids of 216 and beyond. Yeah, kids of 330. Um, but uh, right now we really need to make a stronger name for ourselves in Cuyahoga County and really get into those other key school districts and areas where, you know, there's both the need for vocational training and work for young people in the trades, as well as, you know, areas where the homes and renovation crisis, most of the homes in Cuyahoga County are upwards of 50 years old. So there's definitely a lot to do. (laughs) So it's been really cool to see what you've been able to accomplish in just two years. And so I'm curious for you, Steph, when you think about the impact you've made in that short time, what are some of the community projects that you're really proudest of to date? I would say this year is probably been, this was our third summer of the program. And I would say this year was probably the funnest and also um, one of the most successful periods we've had with the students and projects. This year, our students built a very large um, train playground. So it was like a multiple cart train with like an engine and, you know, the tender cars after. And it was about, you know, over 100 square feet out of wood. So I would say about 1,200 pounds of wood went through that school. And it was an awesome blueprint for the students to learn from. And it was really cool because they built it at an early learning center. And so in the time that our students were working there and building, all of the younger students at that school were then exposed to students who looked just like them you know, and see them work. And it was really cool for me to, you know, like walk through the halls and the little children at the early learning center would be like, where are the worker boys? Where are the worker boys today? And it was really cool and really special for them, for, you know, our students and the younger students to make those relationships and build those, you know, types of connections in the community and just see the young children look up to our students who were, you know, still only 18 years old 
and um, just see, you know, those role models in our students. And we did like a reveal for the playground. So we like had it covered in a tarp and like we had this huge tent over it. And then we, you know, pulled the sides down and had all the uh, early learning center kids out on the playground and they were screaming and jumping and um, they did like a run through through all the, the tunnels of the train and stuff. And it was really cool um, to see that young students, you know, running up to our students, giving them hugs and high fives after they had been there for, you know, almost a month building it in at the side of the school. So it was just a really unique experience all around, whereas our previous community projects, while great, were kind of like we came in, did it, and now it's there for the community to enjoy. But to see the young students' connections with our students was something really special. Well, as a mom of three-year-old twins, I consider <laughs> myself a playground connoisseur, yeah. and that one sounds especially awesome. So. Yes. <laughs> and you talked about um, worker boys. So are there girls in the program, and what's the representation there? We try, and we strive to recruit females to the program, especially because there is such a need for female representation in the trades and in all labor in general. We have had, I would say, maybe, I think, a little under 15% females participation and completion of the program. And I think that the recruiting is hard, but it's possible. And there's certainly steps and things that we try and, and should be doing, continuing to do to ensure better representation, really. But in general, I would say we're that 85%, close to 90%, some cohorts as that young adult male. And it sounds like there definitely is a need across the board, just in terms of people going into the trades. Just doing a little research for the podcast, you know, I learned that the number of people that go into trade schools um, kind of declined in the 80s and 90s, and now it's back on the rise again. So why do you think that is, and why is it so important? There's definitely been, I would say, the past two years, but really the past year and a half, 18 months, um, there has been a huge rise in, I think, the way people talk about and just like the stigma of, you know, going into the trades. And I think that change in mentality and attitude towards going into the workforce right out of school instead of college, or maybe going into the workforce knowing that it's going to help you get through college. That's, I, I believe, what has changed. And that's what's helped the, the rise and the um, changing trends there. I think there still needs to be more done in terms of how people understand and how people become aware of the pathways and what those pathways to the trades entail. I think that's still unclear for a lot of young people, but the attitudes are definitely changing and that's important. In Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, there's probably about 1,100 open entry-level positions in something related. So not necessarily construction that we train for or that we teach, but manufacturing or warehousing, um, distribution kinds of positions as well. And that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, to think that there are, with the recent decline in Cuyahoga counties or the city of Cleveland's population, to think that there's, you know, thousands and dozens of thousands of 18 to 24-year-olds living in poverty without a job, and then knowing that there's, you know, thousands of open positions in the same area is why we do what we do. 
Yeah, and programs like this definitely connect the dots. Yeah. So that's awesome. To us, it, it makes sense. We cross off a lot of boxes, but we do it in really unique ways, you know, that our students are able to learn these things, but then they're also able to get the value added and the personal skills that allow them to see the positive change in their neighborhoods, in their communities, so they realize they can live in Cleveland and do something great. And in terms of placement, you know, the students that have graduated, have you gone on to see them take jobs of this sort or? Yes, we are not quite a 90 percent success rate, but close. And that's largely due to a lot of work on our construction managers, Rob's behalf, and a lot of volunteer help that we receive. One thing that's really difficult in our program and the way it's set up now and, you know, what we're kind of working on strategically is that we train the kids previously for 10 weeks and hopefully now this coming year we think it'll be 14 week program we train them and you know scattered throughout the program we'll do life skills or seminars or guest speakers and job tours and we'll take them out places and things like that like on a site tour and we try and do things some of our life skills include like resume workshops and applying for jobs and mock interviews But at the end of the program, sometimes we'll see like a lag period or an in-between period of they don't have a job just yet, but they've got some great leads or they're already in the second round somewhere. And um, with the population that we serve, we serve, you know, 100% poverty population or students living at or below the poverty level when they come to the program. So with that population, they can't wait around two months for a job just because they think they have a great lead on it. Um, And sometimes it's like a week or two. Sometimes it's even two weeks between rounds of interviews, um, unless it's like a hot construction site that they really need the labor for within the next couple of days. For some of these positions, it could be, you know, a couple of weeks before the job is solidified and the drug testing is done and the paperwork is filled out and they're onboarded. And a problem that we've seen with our students is they're living paycheck to paycheck already and they can't wait. And so they'll take our students who are, you know, have not been able to secure employment through our program and our resources or connections, if they can't secure employment immediately, they'll, you know, take up work at maybe a restaurant or fast food or like a large retail like Walmart. And then it's extremely difficult to try and convince them and to get them back out to us to try again. So it, it's, we found that when we're able to essentially create a pipeline or secure something before the end of the cohort. You know, those students, you know, have moved their families, have enrolled their fam, like our kids who have children of their own, have moved their kids, have moved their families, um, have enrolled their kids in schools. Others have been able to now like buy cars, gotten better jobs. So they're working their way up. And um, I think it's just a testament to like them realizing their potential and being given a chance in which like they had to do, they, um, you know, paid it forward. They did, they were given a chance, but it wasn't just a chance for them. It was a chance for them to give back to their own communities in the projects that they did, you know, in the projects that they've all worked on. And I think that's why all the students that have been transitioned to jobs, that's why they come back and, you know, see us or talk to current students because they realize, you know, they were given a chance to do something in the city. So, Steph, you are a biology teacher by day. And 
you do the kids of 216 on the side. So your whole life basically revolves around serving kids and helping them. So why is this such a passion of yours? I think that I, you know, having previously worked in a totally different industry and then obviously getting my MBA, I think I chose to, I left my former job and went to grad school full-time when I had started the Kids of 216 after first pitching the project. I think that it was just like personal realization after personal realization where I was just going day to day and going through the motions and I realized all of the people who had impacted my life most were teachers and people who took the time to really get to know me over an extended period of time and helped me through some, you know, really great times in my life and also some really difficult times in my life. And I was volunteer teaching at the time and doing a lot of like youth mentoring and I loved it. And I just felt like that was the fulfillment that I was looking for. And I knew that with my background in research and then the science background that I had, it was a great way for me to be involved in the schools. And I love that I'm able with, you know, teaching during the day and then running the kids at two and six. I love that I have both sides of like I'm in the classroom and I'm able to, you know, have that interaction with the kids all the time and the lessons and the instruction and the getting to know them and going to all their school events and whatnot. And then I also love that I'm using pretty much every every class in the MBA program is a part of my job, like all of, all of those different areas. And I sometimes miss or wish with the kids at 2 and 6 that I knew more construction or carpentry and that I could work with them more, those students more on a day-to-day basis. My role, obviously, with the kids at 2 and 6 has transitioned more to expansion planning. And it's great to have both sides, and it's a really good balance, even though it makes for long days, long nights. And it's just a cool way to, I think, learn about really where our country's headed when you think about, you know, things that are happening in the world and things that are happening just in Cleveland. Most of what we look towards is the kids. So I think it's an awesome way to be a part of everything. Was it Whitney Houston who said the children are our future? I think so, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yep. So you've talked a fair bit about how your role is expanding, how the organization is expanding. And when we interviewed you for the Fresh Innovators story a few months ago, you talked about how you may be expanding your staff. So along with expanding the program to 14 weeks, are there other ways that you see the kids of 216 growing and expanding over the next few years? Yes. So currently we are, um, we're actually kind of in negotiations or kind of in um, the process of solidifying how the future cohorts are going to run. We think it's really important like that we have such a solid foundation and really good bones, but we change and we're not afraid to change little pieces and parts of our programming and curriculum to fit the needs of what's happening either in the schools or in the community or, you know, with the job market. And so we are, in addition to the cohort that we just started this year, which was to have, for the first time ever, have students who have not graduated high school yet, but have been labeled as definitely not interested or eligible for college. We took them in this year for that summer program between their junior and senior years of high school, and now we've seen them back to their senior year of high school this fall. In addition to that, we are now going to operate spring and fall cohorts. 
And this will be continuing to expand on the um, 18 to 24-year-old youth, unemployed or out-of-school youth. And that's obviously our target and was our original target market student as I, you know, started the program back in 2017, that first year. And with that comes obviously just the replication of duties that we have now. And so we will be expanding the construction teaching, like the instructor foreman role We try and keep the ratio of student to teacher down because we want the students to actually be doing the projects after they've learned, you know, the tools and gone through the orientation. It's not like we want to be hiring. uh, We're not hiring, you know, contractors to come in and do these projects and just have the kids watch. The kids, we're hiring people to actually teach the students and stand there and watch the students do it. And so with that, we have to keep the, and for safety reasons as well, we have to keep the number of students to teacher low. Um, three to four max. So in expanding to fall and spring, in addition to the summer cohort, it will actually help us, I think, to be able to have a year-round staff in that regard. And then we are hoping eventually, eventually as in this year, you know, 2020, to be able to have a position specifically for student services. And that's for, you know, while the students are in the cohort, life happens. And we need to make sure that we can take care of and support them in any way possible so that they can come to the program and learn and work. We don't let that, like, you know, like I said earlier, this is not a four-walled classroom where they can just come in and sleep. We expect them to work the full eight-hour days, no matter what. So no matter what working conditions or weather conditions, you know, as long as it's safe, they're out there working. And we need to make sure then that they have transportation, that they arrive on time, that they have food, that, you know, they're taken care of at home or that everything is, you know, okay at home. There's anything that we can do to help them, we do it. And then in addition to that, you know, after the cohort, you know, checking in with former students and making sure they're enjoying their job or, you know, how they feel about helping them, you know, navigate, you know, dealing with their real first manager, their first boss, and maybe changing work sites or looking for new jobs and and whatnot. And so we're kind of developing that that role and seeking out that role. I imagine as you grow, you're going to need support in other ways as well. And one of the things we love about our freshwater readership is that they are the doers, they are the do-gooders, they like to get involved. So what are some ways that our readers and listeners could get involved with the kids of 2 and 6 and support you? We actually have an awesome volunteer base, and we love to take in volunteers. We have a new volunteer application on our website, which you can submit, you know, just a couple questions about yourself, a little bit of information about yourself right into the um, portal on our website. And essentially, we are seeking individuals who are willing and ready to serve all types of youth and young people that our program serves. Anything from, you know, landscaping with us for a day or painting. We'll have like community days that we kind of post out on all our channels or our newsletter for community involvement. And then for those looking to kind of work more one-on-one with students, we actually have a really great program set up for mentorship and for like the life skills classes and seminars. So if someone maybe had a background in HR or just in that kind of area in general and wanted to help the kids, maybe they can come run our resume workshop class. And that's uh, where we see, 
I think a lot of community members come and, and love to, uh, you know, do their thing and do it, you know, for the kids, literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so excited and inspired to see what you've done with the kids of 2 and 6, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you'll do going into the future. So thank you so much, Steph, for being here today. And if anyone wants to learn more about what you're doing, can you share your website? Definitely. We can be found at www.kidsof216.org, and we're on all social media as just at kidsof216. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Freshwater Cleveland's Fresh Faces Podcast, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineers Dave Douglas and Sean Rule Hoffman. You can get more Freshwater Cleveland by subscribing to our weekly newsletter at freshwatercleveland.com or find us on social media on Facebook and on Twitter at FreshwaterCLE. We'll see you next time. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.